Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Welcome to Session 3 of Unpacking the Mystery of Pentecost. This is Deacon Dave Peckle from St. Basil's Church in Brecksville, Ohio. Looking back on what we covered over the last two sessions, Pentecost has its roots in the promise of God to write his law on our hearts, given to us in a prophecy of Jeremiah, which we find in chapter 31, beginning with verse 33. That promise was reinforced through the prophecy of Ezekiel, which we find in his chapter 36, where God said he's going to pour his Holy Spirit into us and remove our stony hearts and give us hearts of flesh. And then in the prophecy of Joel, God tells us in chapter 3 of Joel that he's going to pour his Spirit upon all mankind. So on the day of Pentecost, when Peter spills out of the room and he says they are not drunk, that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, the fulfillment of the giving of the Spirit to everyone not just particular people at a particular time, as we saw in the Old Testament, and up until the time of Jesus' ascension and Pentecost happening. So we have this event which changes us interiorly because of the writing of the law in our hearts. So we have new thoughts, new patterns of life, because our hearts are centered on God. And we also see the external manifestation of the Spirit, which we see in the disciples, as they pray in tongues, and they give glory to God, and are willing to come out of hiding to proclaim Jesus Christ as Messiah to the street, in the streets and to all people they meet. So as we look ahead at Pentecost, knowing all these things, we should at a minimum understand that Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit was meant for us not just the disciples, not for us to be faithful Catholics, not for us to be faithful people who show up at church, give our time in service to a particular parish that we belong to. Pentecost is meant for us to be doing the work of making other disciples. Pentecost is not complete without actually looking at our response to Pentecost and what God wants to do within us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that whoever is in Christ is a new creation, that the old has passed away, and that all new things have come. Pentecost changes us. The past is no longer important to us. God in the prophecy of Isaiah say, Do not regard things of the past. Behold, I am doing something new. And we have to perceive it. We have to enter into it. We have to embrace it. And when we do, we hear the words of Jesus saying, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So we begin to find the meaning and purpose of our life because the Spirit will guide us to that meaning and purpose. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, at the very end of his gospel, that everything in his gospel 
everything that is recorded, he says, was written so that we may come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And through that belief, that we may have life, life in his name. So what happens to us when the the Holy Spirit comes upon us, when we experience Pentecost, is we are changed. We're changed interiorly, and we are changed by by being given a boldness to go out and profess our faith to others, give witness to the God who changed us, the God who loves us, the God who forgives us. And we, like those who came out of the upper room on that Pentecost Sunday, now filled with the Holy Spirit, will be filled with the love of God, filled with understanding mercy, filled with the understanding that we are forgiven, that God, through the prophecy of Joel, said that he will repay us for the years that the locusts have eaten, that all our past is somehow washed away, cleansed, cleaned, and we can look forward to a new life, a life lived in the Holy Spirit. When we change, when this change happens to us, we will approach our faith differently. We will approach everything we do differently. So much so that we act different, we think different. And this difference is something that grows within us. It's not something we are going to acquire through going through a program, listening to a podcast like mine. It's not something that's going to happen by looking at a DVD series by some noted theologian or some Christian writer that we respect and admire. No, this change comes by accepting a reality, the reality that Jesus Christ promised in that upper room that he would send us the Spirit, and that Holy Spirit would not only teach us and remind us of everything he ever said and ever did, it would begin to work within us to the will and pleasure of God. It would begin to work within us and changing us in such a way that we begin to understand the love of God. And we feel his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And once we accept this reality of what the Spirit can do for us and desires to do for us, we find that our spiritual life will begin to get fueled by this Spirit. It is the fuel that burns within us, that motivates us, that compels us, that will begin to open our minds to understand the Scriptures and understand the one thing about our life here on earth, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. Not height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, as Paul tells us. This is our destiny, my brothers and sisters. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that we are destined to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Destined to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. This is our destiny. And why does that happen to us? Why is the Spirit at work doing this within us? And we hear the words of Jesus in that upper room the night before he died, telling us exactly why these changes happen within us. So we could do the work that he did, and far greater than those will we do because we believe and because he is going to the Father. 
So we've been given a spirit so that we will know that there's more we can learn about being a disciple, a follower of Christ. There's more that we can learn about how to live out our faith. But we will also learn that there's more expected of us as followers of Christ. More that is expected of us so that we could do the works that Jesus did and far greater than those. So the real question for us is not how do we learn how to live this new life, but how do we live a life that is in tune with the Spirit so we hear his promptings, we respond to his urgings, we respond to his revelations so that we can be better Christians, growing in holiness because it is the Spirit that is transforming us, as Paul says, from glory to glory into the very image of Jesus Christ. This is our destiny, so that we can bring light to those who are in darkness, so that we bring hope to those who are in despair, and so we can bring life to those who are dead in Christ. And I believe the answer to all these questions about how can we do this, as all things is given to us in the Word of God, the inspired scriptures which God gave us not only to reveal himself to us, but to show us how we are to respond to that revelation. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, tells Timothy this, and this is God speaking to us. He says, Remain faithful to what you have learned and believed, because you know from whom we have learned it. And you know that the sacred scriptures are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation so that we might be equipped for every good work. The scriptures are capable of giving us wisdom for salvation and equipping us for every good work. The word of God has the ability to change us and it's the Holy Spirit that makes that word alive in our minds and our hearts and puts it on our tongues. Jesus said to us that the Spirit will reveal to us all things, all things, that the Spirit will give us understanding and knowledge so that the words of Scripture burn within our hearts, just as it did on that day of Pentecost, just as it did on that day when the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, burn within us so much so that we cannot contain it. The Word of God is revealed to us by the Spirit, and it does provide for us a way for us to not only live our lives, but it provides for us a way that Christ himself lives within us. Live our lives in a way that as a people that we manifest the same qualities of Jesus, who came to say he shows us the Father, and the manifestation of God's presence in us, we become more loving, we become more grateful and kind and thankful, grow in our forbearance. We have grown in us the fruits of the Spirit that Paul listed in his letter to the Galatians. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, we also follow the Spirit. So how do we do this? That's the burning question, isn't it? How do we follow this Spirit? 
How do we live our lives in a way that the Spirit is always guiding us, teaching us, motivating us? And again, we turn to the Scriptures. We look at Paul's writing in the Second Corinthians chapter 3. All of us, all of us, bringing ourselves in the presence of Christ, which the Holy Spirit will do. Paul says, all of us gazing with unveiled faces. The unveiled faces is the barrier of sin has been removed from us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So all of us gazing with unveiled faces on the glory of the Lord, the resurrected body, the presence of forgiveness, the personification of God's love for us, gazing on his glory, that we or will be transformed into that same image from glory to glory, as from the Lord who is the Spirit. So that the Spirit working within us changes us into people who reflect the very attributes of Jesus Christ. It's not that we by will do the things that Jesus did. It's just by the work of the Spirit we do the things that Jesus did. Listen to the Word of God speaking to us in the Scriptures. See, this transformation that we're talking about is a new life, not a new work we begin to do, but it is a total transformation that happens within our hearts, happens to us by placing ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ and asking Him, to fulfill his promise to send the Spirit to us. What the Holy Spirit will do when we invite him into our hearts is reveal to us more and more of what Christ did, more and more of what Christ said, and more and more of what Christ achieved for us by his death and resurrection. The more of Jesus we discover, because of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the more we change, the more we are aware of what God desires us to become, the more we are aware of where God is leading us, and the more we are willing to submit the more and more of ourselves to be transformed by God. But notice not anything that the Holy not anything we do except allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and bring us to Christ so we discover who we are. It's the story of Martha and Mary. Remember Martha when Jesus visited Bethany? Martha was in the kitchen, busy with the chores of hospitality. She decided for herself what she should do for Jesus on that day. She decided what she would do in the presence of Christ that day. She was a workaholic, working, doing things that were necessary to do. But notice where she is. She's busy doing, not listening. While her sister Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And it was of Mary that Jesus said, She has chosen the better part. See, our transformation is not so we could be like Martha. It's not so we could be busy ourselves doing service for God, corporal works of mercy. It all is about doing the one thing that is required of us 
and it is by putting ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ, putting ourselves in the hands of the Spirit, putting ourselves in the hands of the potter to be molded and shaped and fashioned into the vessel God would have us become, into the person God designed us and created us to become. And as that happens, the person we were diminishes and the one that God wants us to be increases in us. So as we sit with Jesus and the Spirit of God begins to transform us from glory to glory into the very image of Christ, we can begin to start reflecting on who, what we are called to do. And we'll find as we reflect that we automatically become centered on serving others. We begin to be concerned only with doing the will of the one who sent us, and we become centered on proclaiming the kingdom of God. See, we do service corporal works of mercy, but it is motivated by the Spirit, not by what we think we should be doing. We become one with the one who sent us, not because we are doing some religious act of piety, but because the Spirit molds us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we became centered on proclaiming the kingdom of God, which draws other people into that kingdom, which we are now enjoying. That's what Peter did that day when he came out of the upper room. All of those things, concerned with only proclaiming the kingdom of God, only doing the one who has now changed him, only centered on serving others and bringing them into the kingdom. See, the Spirit guides us so that we do the will of the Father rather than deciding ourselves what we should do for the kingdom. Martha was chastised by Christ because she decided for herself what she should be doing for the kingdom. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, Learn, learn what is pleasing to the Lord. How will we learn these things? Unless we learn it from the Spirit. Because Jesus said in that upper room that the Spirit will glorify Him. Glorify Jesus. The closer we get to the Spirit, the more we learn about who Jesus is. And we learn the impact of His death and resurrection on all of us. We learn to sit at the feet of Jesus as Mary did. We can learn to get quiet and gaze on the Lord, as Paul told us in Corinthians, so that this transformation begins to happen within us. Jesus tells us in John 14 that he's going to send this Holy Spirit to us. He is going to send us the promise of the Father. Exactly what Peter said when he spilled out of that upper room. No, we're not drunk. This is just the promise of the Father given to us in the prophecy of Joel, that he would pour his Spirit upon all of us. See, we are called to holiness, my brothers and sisters. We know that. But we take this holiness to heart, and we try to be holy by the things we do, by the practices we get involved in. God's way to holiness is by surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that we grow into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul again in Galatians tells us this is the will of God, our holiness. Will of God. So if we submit ourselves to God's will, 
we automatically will be transformed into holy men and holy women of God. And we can never grow into that kind of holiness by our own sheer desire or will to be holy. Remember, we become transformed by gazing on the face of the Lord, by putting ourselves into the hands of the Spirit, by sitting at the feet of Jesus. But all of these things that we're talking about, these are not passive things we do. These are not passive actions. They are actually an activity that we have to be engaged in. We have to get our minds wrapped around and our wills to achieve them. If we are going to be like Jesus, there are three things that Jesus did in his life that we should be doing in our life. And if we begin to look at them, you find in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus tells us that Jesus taught, he preached, and he healed. Jesus taught, he preached, and he's healed. Now this is something we would look at ourselves and say, we're not teachers, we're not preachers, we don't have the gift of healing, and I'm supposed to be transformed into the very image and likeness of Jesus to do the things that he did. Is that what I'm supposed to do? How can I do that? I am not trained. I haven't had enough theology. I don't even know where to begin to do any of those things. But this is the kinds of things the Spirit will lead us to do and to understand that we can teach, we can preach, and we can heal. And if we begin to do the things that Jesus did, we will discover how to do that. But I don't want you to look at the results of what Jesus did, teaching and preaching and healing. How did he get to that point? And I think he, we see in his life he did three things to get to that point. The first thing he did was he was obedient to the Father. I only do what the Father tells me, he says to us. Only do what the Father did. Everything Jesus did was at the will and direction of the Father. So we also have to begin to get obedient to the promptings of the Spirit, to God working within us through the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to become obedient in that same aspect. So we are only doing the will of God as we grow into holiness and find the meaning and purpose of our life, the way we are gifted so that we can build up the body of Christ. This is one of the things we can do, is begin to listen for the promptings of the Spirit in our personal prayer time, praying and listening, speaking to God, having God speak to us by reading the Scriptures, by paying attention to not the stories, but what God is revealing to us about the story and how we are to respond. This is what we can do to grow in obedience. And the second thing we saw about Jesus in his life is he often went to the temple. In fact, the scriptures tell us he went to the temple daily, as was his habit. And in his daily worship with the people of God, he grew one with the people of God. He listened to the word of God. He listened to the word being broken, the thing we call a homily. He heard the rabbi speaking about the word of God helping people to understand it and apply it to their lives. 
Jesus became one with the will of people. He prayed with them. He sang the Psalms with them. He read the blessings with them. It was his communal life of faithfulness, the thing we experienced during our Mass and our times together for prayer services and days of reflection. So Jesus was obedient, and he was constantly in the temple, becoming one with the people of God. But we also see that Jesus went off by himself to pray, to pray to the Father, private prayer, prayer that came from his heart, prayer which had him weeping and groaning, speaking to the Father, having the Father speak to him, understanding what was happening, the mission he was being called to, strengthen him for the task at hand, as we saw in the garden where he begged the Father to let it pass. But then he surrenders his will, because God strengthens him. So if we are obedient to God, if we never absent ourselves from the communal celebration of our faith, and if we have a constant and consistent prayer life, then we will grow into the very image of God. Then we'll begin to hear God's voice speaking to us, the promptings of the Spirit guiding us as we begin to reflect on what God requires of us in response and begin to look at our giftedness and begin to see the doors opening for us to use that gifts that God has given us. So once we accept that Pentecost is an event meant for us today, it's not just something we remember in the past. As we begin to invite that Holy Spirit into us, we begin this journey of transformation, and we will find out there is more in store for us than we can ever realize. More joy, more life, more love, more peace, more confident assurance that we can do the things that God has done through Jesus Christ, that we can walk on water, that we can bring healing to people who are broken emotionally, physically, that we can bring peace to others. Let me give you an example of how we could discover these things in the scriptures as God reveals them to us. Because the Holy Spirit is endless in its ability to reveal things to us, reveal the nature and the glory of God to us. Let me read to you from the Old Testament. It's not a place we normally go to reflect on the Word of God, but it's filled with the wisdom of God's revelation of Himself. This is a reading from the second book of Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It's a passage you've heard read on Sunday, at least every three years. You will hear these very words, and they go like this. A certain woman, the wife of one of the guild prophets, complained to Elisha, My husband, your servant, is dead. You know that he was a God-fearing man, yet now one of his creditors comes to take my two children as his slaves. How can I help you? Elisha answered her. Tell me, what do you have in the house? She answered, This servant of yours has nothing in the house but a jug of oil. Go and borrow from all your neighbors, 
as many as vessels as you can. Then come back and close the door on yourself and your children. Pour the oil from your jug into all the vessels, and as each is filled, set it aside. She went out and did so, closing the door on herself and her children. And as they handed her the vessels, she would pour in oil. When all the vessels were filled, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. There is none left, he replied to her. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God about the oil in the vessels, and he said to her, Go and sell the oil, and pay your creditor, and with what remains you and your children can live. The Word of the the Lord On the surface, this is just another simple miracle story that we've heard many times in Scripture. And listening to this story, we could easily get caught up in the miracle and get up caught up in the holiness of the prophet Elisha. But there's more going on here than a story about Elisha. See, the scriptures were written to reveal God to us and to help us respond to God. So how do we respond to God in this passage? What is it we need to learn? See, I think as we look at this, There's a companion verse to this passage that we find in the New Testament. It comes to us in the second book of Corinthians. And it's a familiar passage, another one we've heard before. Paul tells us in Corinthians, he says, We hold this treasure in earthen vessels. What is this treasure we hold? This gift of the Spirit. The gift of God the promise of God, the forgiveness of our sins. All of this is contained within us, poured into our hearts by God, changed, written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, this vessel of who we are, so that the surpassing power may be of God and not from us. Important passage to remember. Everything we do, every gift we have, all our ability, is the surpassing power of God. It's from God. It's not us. That day with Elisha, it wasn't Elisha. It was the power of God. And Paul goes on in this passage. He says, everything indeed is for you. So that the grace bestowed in abundance. What is this grace bestowed in abundance? Grace was once a name for the Holy Spirit. So this Holy Spirit bestowed in abundance on more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. The more we receive the Holy Spirit, the more that we overflow for the glory of God. The more we overflow for the glory of God, the more we find our purpose and our destiny the more Pentecost is complete in us. The Holy Spirit bestowed brings about thanksgiving, overflowing for God. We become a thankful people, a glorifying God people, a praising God, a worshiping God, an exalting God people, proclaiming the greatness of God 
proclaiming the forgiveness of God. See, Pentecost is not about giving ourselves anything. It's about giving God glory as we are transformed. Now let's go back to this story with Elisha, because there's something we need to understand about that story. How do we respond? See, she's in a hopeless situation. She's a widow. She has no income. Her husband was in service of the church. He was one of the guild prophets. He died. Now the creditor wants payment. She has nothing. So she is told to go out and borrow vessels from her neighbors. So she goes out and does that. What do you think would have happened if she had gone beyond her neighbors to the next neighborhood and borrowed vessels? And the next neighborhood and borrowed vessels? And gone to the local potter and asking him to make her more? Do you think the oil would have kept flowing as she continually brought vessels before her to be filled with oil? And the answer, of course, it would. See, what the story tells us is that God has the ability to bless us by what we bring before God. The least amount of vessels of ourselves, this earthen vessel, we bring before God, then we get a little bit of oil. If we begin to enlarge our vessel, increase our desire, we will get more of God's blessings. See, this thing is telling me that the blessings we receive from God has more about our ability to receive it than any limitation on God's ability to bless us. The more we could bring of this earthen vessel of ourselves to God, the more God will fill us. It's simple. We all want to see blessings in our lives. We all have things that we are struggling with, and we need God to fill and to remove from us. Then we need to learn how to empty ourselves, to bring that vessel of God to fill, to go get a larger cup of ourselves to receive more of God's blessing. We need to learn how to do this, and we do this through the very things we talked about, being obedient to God by private prayer, by being faithful in the community, by searching for God in the Scriptures, and by simply surrendering ourselves to God, doing exactly what the disciples did in that upper room. They were still fearful. They were still afraid, but they were in prayer. Because Jesus said, go into the city and wait until you are filled with power from on high. We need to be prayerful in inviting the Spirit, doing exactly what they're doing. We don't know anything about their prayer in that upper room. But I bet you they are praying a prayer that we know so well. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle them with us, the fire of your love. And we will be recreated. We become those new creatures in Christ. See, what we bring before God is what God is going to bless for us. And instead of wishing things were different in our life, we need to learn to give thanks for the things in our lives. Give thanks for our spouses, even though they're not exactly what we want. But even if they're abusive and controlling, we need to give thanks for them. Give thanks for our families, even though they're dysfunctional. 
Give thanks for the health we have, even though we are broken and crippled. Give thanks in all things, and through our giving thanks in those things, we may find that God will begin to flood us and change us. So that instead of giving, complaining about the things in our lives, the things in our lives don't impact us as much anymore as we give thanks for them. Instead of seeing no hope, as the world did, and seeing nothing but certain death, we need to respond to the call of Elisha and say, what do you have in the house? What is it do we have? See, it's the loaves and the fishes all over again, isn't it? The disciples out there in the wilderness with Christ as a lonely place, deserted place, as he was preaching to, we know, 5,000 men and men alone, that counting women and children. And the disciples were concerned. It was getting late. There was nothing to eat. They needed to go find food and shelter. And they told Jesus, send them away. And he says, no, feed them yourselves. A challenge by God. We see nothing. No hope. No way to change the circumstances. And we cry out to God to simply remove it. And he says, no, you take care of it. Feed them yourselves. And of course, we know the response. We have nothing. Not enough money. We can't buy enough. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you what you didn't have. I ask you, what do you have? What do you have? We have nothing. But there's a boy here with a few loaves and a few fish. What does Jesus say? He says, give it to me. What did Elisha say? you got vessels? Go fill them up. Go to your neighbors. Take the little bit of oil. It's not enough to go through all those vessels, but keep pouring. Keep pouring. Keep bringing the vessel, and the oil will keep flowing. This oil, the balm of Gilead that we hear in the Scripture, the, the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit will continue to fill us. What do you have? This is the message of Jesus to you and me. Lord, what do you have? I have nothing, Lord. Just a little oil, just a few fish. And Jesus says, give it to me. And he blesses it, and he multiplies it. The disciples got no more food than the people did. They didn't quite understand as they walked to the crowds with morsels of food in their hand, hands, giving it to the people wondering if what's going to happen when they go back to Jesus, because how can that few loaves last beyond a few people? And yet there was more. The widow kept pouring. There was always more. In allowing ourselves to be filled, we will find that we will grow, and we will find that we can give more. We will find that we become larger vessels to be given to others to bless their lives and reveal God's glory. We all want to live a life in a way that reflects the blessing of God, don't we? This is ours, by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us. It comes about by bringing what we have to God, offering it to God, inviting God to fill us. What do we have? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we have no more than a desire. That's enough. 
I have a desire to be a disciple. I have a desire to live my faith differently. I have a desire to feel the power of God in my life, the forgiveness of God enfolding me, the love of God poured into my hearts. I have a desire to find God's meaning and purpose for my life. And Jesus says, give me that desire. Come sit it at my feet and gaze on my face. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and let me transform you into what you will become. Bring that earthen vessel to me and I will fill it up to overflowing for the glory of God. This is what we are offered by Pentecost, my brothers and sisters. We are offered a life filled with joy, with peace, with a certain knowledge that we are loved and we are precious in God's eyes. That we are offered a life in the Spirit, feeling the presence of God always, hearing the words of God speaking to our hearts, praying others for their healing, emotional healing, physical healing, for their hearts to be healed, for them to understand and us to understand the things of God so that we clearly can help others. My brothers and sisters, we have only tasted the things of the Spirit. It is time for the banquet to begin, and Pentecost is the full banquet poured upon us. But in order to live that life of the Spirit, do not misunderstand what it means to gaze on the face of the Lord, to invite it to, into our lives, and to surrender to God. This is not passive. This is a very active experience that we must engage in. We need to bring ourselves into the presence of God. We need to be obedient in all things. We need to pray daily. We need to be constant in our attendance in the community celebrations. We need to be into the Word of God, listening for God, responding to God. This is our time for an upper room experience. This is our time for Pentecost. Those disciples were one in prayer. One in prayer. We need to be in prayer, my brothers and sisters. We need to be waiting with an anxious, anticipating faith for the Spirit to come upon us. And we are predestined to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. See, God desires to make us godly and holy, taking on his attitudes, his character, his dedication. God desires that we become transformed by the renewal of our minds, become a new self created in God's way of righteousness, not our way of righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that about in us, brings about that change in us. As Paul says in Philippians, this is God working in us, giving us the desire to obey and the power to do what pleases him. See, this Holy Spirit gives us, increases this desire within us. This desire that we have gets multiplied by the Spirit for greater desire so that we feel the presence of God and we feel his power transforming us. So we begin to grow in every way into him who is the head of the church, which is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Spiritual growth takes effort, my brothers and sisters. It takes a commitment, but it's not the programs that we're looking at. It's the Holy Spirit that we're inviting in our lives to change us. And spiritual growth is not measured by how much biblical knowledge we gain or how much 
dogma we learn or how much theology we learn it is far more about growing into the image of Christ growing in one love, one in love of one another it is far more about telling letting the Holy Spirit work within us to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we become patient and kind and gentle and reflect all those qualities of Christ so that we live by the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, Paul says, we will have revealed to us this thing of God. How do we live by the Spirit? Simply by saying, come, by yielding ourselves, by surrendering. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Here I am, Lord. Guide me. Here I am, Lord. Convict me. Here I am, Lord. Transform me. Here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. And like Mary, let us say without hesitation, not knowing what the next step is going to be, they're saying, Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let it be done to me according to your word. Amen. Amen, my brothers and sisters. Enjoy your Pentecost, and may God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.